But let's think about encounters with God, the one true God, all right? Are encounters with the one true God, those kind of spiritual encounters, are those good? That's good, right? There's a reality there that someone says, I know that I know that I know. Something that goes beyond what I understand with my mind, but I sense something in my spirit that just is so real and so tangible that I just can't deny that it happens. That's good, isn't it? If someone says today, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things I would want for you, and I would hope you would want for me, is that we've had a real time, a spiritual experience with the Lord. Well, we gathered here today in worship. I don't know about you, but I sense the presence of God. Anyone else sense the presence of God today? All right? That's important, right, to reconnect with who God is. But Saul did, Saul, now Saul, did he have a spiritual experience? And we just saw one representation there on the screen, right? So there he is on the road to Damascus. He's walking there. He's on his way there, right? What happens? He gets stopped, right? But not by the police. (laughs) He gets stopped by the king of kings, right? He has an experience, and we know he had an experience because he's struck blind. It wasn't just something that happened in his mind. He wasn't hallucinating because at one point he can see, and the next moment after this encounter of the risen Christ, he can't see. So the spiritual experience even had physical impact. It physical results. So if we think about this, Saul has, he's going along, he's like, I know what's right, I know what's true, I know what the Bible says, but he has his experience. Now, if you believe something to be true, and you have experience that shows you that what you believe is not true, what are you going to do with that? Right? Now, Saul could have said, well, I had this experience, and that changed everything, but someone else could have come along and said, yeah, but what do the scriptures say? And see, what Saul did is Saul didn't just live in his experience. He used his experience, went back to God's word, went to the scripture and say, what do the scriptures say about this? You know, in, in, the, in the clip you just saw, when he sees Jesus, they have him saying, no, no, right? Because he's like rejecting the, what Jesus has just said to him, right? Because that just changes everything. Because what this is saying is, now who was Saul? Think about this. Who was Saul? Saul was a scholar, He was a Bible scholar. The Bible tells us he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the top rabbi. I mean, basically, Paul, Saul, I'm going to say this all day. I'm going to say Saul or Paul. It's the same guy, okay, right? But this time he's named Saul. Later on he's named Paul. But Saul basically has like, he has like a doctorate, a PhD in Bible. All right? He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He was a scholar, okay? So if anyone in in the area thought that they knew the Bible, Saul felt that he knew the Bible. And Saul, why was he against the Christians so much? You ever ask that question? Why does he hate the Christians so much? Because Saul is convinced that he knows who God is. And from reading the scripture, he knows that. And he also knows how God works. And as Saul goes around the road to the masses and has his experience, all of a sudden he finds out he was wrong. That God is doing something different than what Saul thought. And that Jesus Christ, the risen Christ who stands in front of him, is the Son of God. Well, that changes everything. It's like tilt. You know, like put your finger in a socket. Like, he just can't even get his mind around it, right? So what does he do? Let's look at what this. So Saul looks into Scripture. We look at his life and we see that he had been, he had thought he was serving God best by persecuting followers of Jesus Christ. But now he finds out Jesus rejects it, rejects that point of view and says, no, you're persecuting me. So we see that if we look in, in the Bible, what does he do? He goes back to the Old Testament scriptures and he looks through the hundreds of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. He looks at Isaiah. He looks at Zechariah. He looks at Malachi. 
He looks in Ezekiel. He goes all through the scriptures, and he understands what they say. How do we know this? Because later on in the book of Acts and his letters, Paul makes references to all these Old Testament scriptures that he's obviously studied. And he now knows that they point to Jesus Christ. We look at our notes. He also tells us uh, that he went and visited Peter and James and talked to them. But then he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. Now you've got to know that what Paul's writing here is written probably just three years after the resurrection actually happened. Okay? So this wasn't written 20, 30, 50 years later. Okay? 1 Corinthians was written very early on. And he's talking about something that he did just after he got saved, after he got converted. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the Scriptures said. What Scriptures is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? The, 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 uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were maybe writing their Gospels at this time, and they may have been available at some point, and they were understood to be Scripture, right? But he's referring, this is a, when he talks about the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying Jesus Christ died for our sins just as the Old Testament said. He's checked it out. He's verified his experience. Jesus was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. There it is again. He was seen by Peter. Then he was seen by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. What is, what is, what is Saul saying here? Saul's saying that, listen, this isn't just something that happened to an isolated group of people who got together and said, okay, let's, let's pretend that we all had a hallucination or maybe we, we all kind of got ourselves worked into a frenzy and we believe this to be true. No, this was seen independently that Jesus was seen by numbers of people, even at one time, 500 people. And when Paul writes this, he's saying, listen, if you don't believe me, you can check it out. Most of these people are still alive. He says then, he goes on to say, then Jesus was seen by James, his brother, right, his half-brother, and later by all the apostles. And last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. What What is he telling us here? He's saying, folks, you can believe that what I taught you about that Jesus Christ died and rose again, you can believe that to be true. It's verified. It's out there. It's not a subjective experience. It's a physical, verifiable reality. Hundreds of people have seen him. So as we think about this, as Paul moved from this incredible experience, this dramatic experience he had on the road to Damascus, what did he do? He went and checked it out in the Scriptures. Well, for you and I today, we might say, well, you know what, <laughs> Pastor Stewart, I've never had some amazing like, experience like, like Saul had on the road to Damascus. I've never seen a blinding light and being blinded like that. I mean, you know, from my experience, it was maybe more of a journey over a period of time where I came to understand who Jesus was. Does that mean that one experience is more valid than another? And the answer, of course, is no. How do we know that? Because it wasn't about the quality of the experience. It was about the verification of what the Scriptures say. For you and I, regardless of what our journey with the Lord to this point has been, today you may not even be a follower of Jesus Christ. But if you'll look into the things that were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born, you'll see how he fulfilled literally hundreds of prophecies, even in his birth, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. If you'll check that out, then you and I can experience the same transforming power of God that Saul did. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that powerful? 
So second of all, Paul now understood. So first of all, we see that Paul's uh, understanding of who God is has changed. Secondly, we see that Saul's encounter with Christ made him willing to give his all to lead others to him. Saul now is willing to give everything he has, to give his all to lead others to Christ. As we've talked about, this is one of the most dramatic encounters with God that we see in the Bible. I mean, it's really parallel to what happens in the Old Testament. So Moses is out there on the backside of the desert. We see this in Exodus, right? And he's tending sheep, and he sees a burning bush, and he goes over, and this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed, and God speaks to him out of the bush. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it, right? And why does God do that? Because he says, Moses, I'm sending you to deliver my people from slavery. They're in physical slavery in Egypt, and you're going to liberate them and bring them to the promised land. Well, in the same way, here in the New Testament, Saul's kind of like the equivalent of that. Because here he is, he's not just sitting out there tending sheep, he's actually headed to kill and persecute Christians and torture them and hurt them, right? And Jesus encounters, has an encounter with him, and all of a sudden now, Saul is being sent by God, and God says to him, Saul, I've got a purpose for your life. And your purpose is to tell others about me and what I've done. So, I mean, Saul goes from, from I mean, basically like a terrorist, you know, an agent of the government, but doing horrible things to innocent people, to be someone who is now giving, willing to give his life to, so that others may know. We see this in Galatians chapter 1 in your notes. Paul says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. He says, I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. He says, then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. Why? so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. A common thread we see in the Bible is that people who have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, the the purpose, their life mission changes dramatically. Uh, I know in my life, when I was growing up, I'd always kind of wonder, what am I going to be when I grow up? What what am I going to pursue? What kind of profession am I going to do? And I had no clue whatsoever. My mom and dad are here this morning visiting from Massachusetts, and they could tell you that Stuart Ross had no idea what he was going to do with his life. I, I mean, I went to college here. I went to college there. I went and took that major. I went and took that major. I was a, I was a college student. You, you know anyone like that? And how many of you know that's an expensive job to have? You don't get paid. You have to pay for it. Okay, right? So here I was, not really knowing who I was, not knowing the mission of what my life was to be. And I tried this and I tried that. And I, some things I succeeded at and some things I failed at. And then one day in desperation, I was in church and I said, God, the, the church, there was a, someone was singing a song, right? It had nothing to do with me whatsoever. I was just at the point where I said, God, I've got to hear something from you. What happened? I was trying to do things my own way. I had my own idea of what my mission in life was. It had something to do with serving Stuart Ross. (laughs) Right? Serving myself. Isn't that the way most of us are oriented? Okay. So as I'm sitting there doing that, all of a sudden, in a moment, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Now, I don't say that very lightly, because I wouldn't say that's even happened to me a ton of times in my life. But I felt like the Lord said to me, and he said the one thing I didn't want to hear. Do you know what he said? He said, I want you to be a pastor. 
and I didn't want to do that. Now, what do you think that means? Okay? Why do you think I didn't want to hear that from God? Because I knew in my heart that's what God wanted me to do, and I was running away from it. People would try to speak to me about that. They said, Stuart, have you ever considered it? I said, no. I've never considered that, and I won't ever consider it. When I got to the end of my rope, and God spoke to me, he gave me a mission. Now, for you, that may not be the same kind of mission in that sense, but all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the mission, what? To represent Jesus Christ wherever we go, right? Okay? So for me, it was connected to my profession. For you, it might be different. But as God has you ministering in the marketplace, as you ministering in the workplace, the ministry place where he's planted you, how are you representing Jesus Christ? Are you understanding? When, I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and I go to work, you know, for several years I worked at a law firm with lawyers. Do you know that lawyers are not nice people? I mean, not all of them. Some of them are nice. I know some Christian lawyers. Okay. But the lawyers I knew, none of them were Christians, and they weren't nice people. And I had a bad attitude about it one day, and as I was driving to work, I had this thought. I am driving to my place of ministry. I am driving to minister. My congregation is these lawyers. And you know what? That changed everything. From then on, when I'd see them, I'd say, hello, how are you doing? How are you? And I would talk to them. If they seemed down or something was going wrong, if it was an appropriate situation, I would try to talk to them about that. And after a while, some of them started asking me, they say, well, what are you doing working here? I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm saving money. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to become a pastor. And all of a sudden, that started the ability to have these spiritual conversations with people. And I was able to pray with some of the secretaries and paralegals uh, and, and some of the attorneys. We had, we had dialogue. We had, dis- we had discussion about who was Jesus Christ and is Christianity true? And folks, I want to tell you that if you and I have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, it should show to the people who meet us out there in the world. It should show to the people at work. When I go to work, I work at a Christian college now. When I go to work, though, I represent Jesus Christ. When I go to a conference and it has my name on it and it says the name of the University of Valley Forge on it, that's where I work, right? Do you know what? I'm, I'm there representing them, but I'm there representing Jesus Christ. When I go to the store, is this making any sense at all? Okay, so we look at Paul, and God calls him to be a missionary, and I told you my story, and God asked me to be a pastor, but what about you today? What has God asked you to do? He's asked you to show what Jesus Christ looks like to people who need his love. You've got a life mission, just like Saul did. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome that you and I have a purpose? This church today, Echo Community Church, is filled with people who understand and live out their God-given purpose. But for all of us, we all could do a little better in that, couldn't we? I know I could. Saul says this. He's talking about what it means to be his follow, a follower of Jesus Christ in Philippians 3. Here in your notes, he says this. He says, I want to know Christ. Do you want to know Christ today? We'll say, well, sure. I mean, I'm here at church, right? <laughs> Does that make sense? But how much do you want to know Christ? Is this something like, is Christianity something I add on to what I was doing? Like, okay, I was doing my life. Maybe I, I had a job and I had a family. Or, or maybe I was, I was doing stuff with my friends. And then I became a Christian. I added that on to what I was already doing. Is that what Christianity is? Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Do you know that Christianity is growing all over the world today? Did you know that? That Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world today. 
Now, I'm not talking about babies. You know, people have babies. Okay, things you learn to church. People have babies. Now, okay, right? You know, people say, well, I'm a Christian, and they have a baby. They go, oh, here's another Christian. No, no, no. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, that's a decision that child's going to have to make as they grow up, right? Okay? But I'm talking about today, every day of the week, 365 days a year, right? If people say, I'm going to, I am one thing, and I am now going to follow another religion. More people follow Christianity than any other religion. Do you understand that? All around the world. Here, at, here in America, we may feel sometimes like Christianity is under attack. It is. It is under attack, isn't it? It's no longer the in thing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. More and more people say, oh, does that mean that because you're a Christian, you hate this group of people? Or you hate this group of people? Imagine that. To live in a society where people think to be a Christian means you're a hater. How did that happen? Did Christians have anything to do with that connection in people's mind? Perhaps. What is Jesus asking us to do today? He's saying in our mission, what is our mission? To know Christ, and as I know Christ, then I can impact all of those people around me. I want to experience the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, which means when I come across a situation in my life that I can't handle, that's beyond my ability, those kind of circumstances and situations, I know that I have access to the one who has all the power in the universe. If I need healing, if I need strength, if I need wisdom, if I need help of any kind, I can go to the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. But not only that, Paul goes on to say something else. He says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Now that's something that doesn't seem to go along with the first part as well, does it? I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. That's good stuff, right? And I want to share in the suffering of his death. Woohoo! wow, that's great. Come and be a Christian and share with us that way, right? People don't always realize that or think about that. But think about what Paul says. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What Paul is saying here is because Christianity is true, because Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead, that means that what he did in the cross is effective for your life and for my life. And when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that tells us God puts a stamp of approval on what Jesus did in the cross, and that means it's effective for your life and mine today. And what that means is that message is so powerful, it's so important, that everything else in life comes second after that. Being a Christian and representing Jesus Christ is the most important thing that you and I could ever do. Now, I'm also a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I have responsibilities where I work, to people I know. Do you know what? All of that, as important as they are, comes second. Because number one is, I want to know Jesus Christ, and I want to represent him, regardless of what it takes to do that. Now, for many of us, we may say, well, I don't know what that's going to cost, Stuart. I don't know that I can sign up for that yet. Well, here's the good news, that even if it were to cost you everything, Paul says, you still win in the end, because death is not the end. Death is not the end. You know what Paul says? Because Jesus rose from the dead, even if I die, one day I will rise again, and I will live with God in eternity in heaven, forever.
I just feel like that needs to sink in for a second. Because sometimes I wonder, like we kind of get caught up in this thing of we're part of a group and we're all Christians and we all believe the same thing and we all love each other and it's all great and we forget the main thing. The main thing is that Jesus Christ is alive and we will be alive forever with him regardless of what happens in this life. See, if we don't have that perspective, when something bad happens in my life, I might be tempted to, to fall away from Christ. I might be tempted to say, well, it doesn't work for me. Because I think somehow that being a Christian is about things going well for me. Being a Christian means I've got access to all the resources of heaven and that God promises us he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. That's what being a Christian means. And it also means that he's got a plan, as someone said, and I just love puns, so I'm going to give you my pun. God's retirement plan is out of this world. Right? You know, when this life ends, at whatever age and whatever circumstance that is, we're out of here, right? Because we're going to be, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. Death is not the end. And I'll tell you what, folks, the history of Christianity is people who understood that. And the people who understood that, Christianity grew because they were determined. If this, if this is true, I checked into it, it is true, that I've got to tell everybody I can. This is the best news in the world. This will change where you and I spend eternity. We'll get to be in the presence of God, of a holy God, to look God face to face, to see him as no person has ever seen him in their own self, and to see Jesus, the risen Christ, to have him look you in the eye and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and experience all that I've prepared for you. Okay, that wasn't all in my notes, but it was really good. All right. I mean, think about it. History tells us a majority of the believers that we read about in the book of Acts died a violent death that they were willing to go to. They were willing to suffer. They were willing to even die. And majority of them did. But did Christianity die with them? No. Christianity is the largest religion in the world today, and it's growing everywhere across the world. Okay, number three. We've got to get this done. Saul's encounter with Christ not only transformed his life mission, but it transformed his character. It changed his relationships. As we've been talking about, we've mentioned this a little bit, that when you and I, we have an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, it should have an impact on who we are and how we live. Before, that, before he, he set off, and left his home in Jerusalem and got on the road to go to Damascus, Saul was very zealous for his religious beliefs. He was very careful. He was a Pharisee. He tells us later on he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, which means he did everything right. He tithed on every part of his income. He even tithed his spices and his spice rack in the kitchen, okay? He was a really careful person to do everything exactly right. But what do we see? His heart was filled with anger. On the outward, he was like the ideal person. He was a Bible scholar. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was uh, accepted and approved of by the high priests. I mean, he was one of the most important people in the culture. Yet his heart was wicked. His heart was full of anger and resentment and hate. Have you ever met someone who was convinced they were doing the right thing? They might even be doing the right thing for God. But their, their heart is not filled with love. It's filled with, it's filled with hate. It's filled with anger. 
I just want to, I mean, I kind of mentioned this before, but can I just say this again? If we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, the way we act and what's inside of us shows us who truly is the Lord of our life. Someone can get on TV, they can be a politician, they can be a speaker, they can be an author, they can be any kind of famous person, a singer, an actor, but they can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We see, uh, we see people who, on Sunday, they, they run and score the touchdown, you know, and they're giving praise to God, right? But how do they actually live? What's truly in their heart? And Saul's heart, Saul looked like the perfect follower of God to the people in his society. But in fact, his heart was far from God. His heart was filled with hate. What happens when you radically encounter the risen Jesus Christ? I mean, this is something that just is incredibly mind-blowing. So Saul's on the road, and he has this encounter with Jesus. And, and what does Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, what do you think Saul's first response is, his first thought is? I'm not persecuting you, bright, shiny figure who looks like an angel and obviously is not a person. You know, I mean, this is, this is a, he's like, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting followers of Jesus Christ. You know, he's persecuting people. But what does Jesus say? Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, we know that this had a great impact on Paul. Because if we read through his letters, I wish I had time to open up what he says in Galatians, what Paul says in Ephesians, right? But Saul realizes something. When he becomes Paul and becomes a teacher of the good news of Jesus Christ, he realizes that whenever something happens to a Christian, it's done unto God, to Christ, Christ says, I have such close relationship and such union, uh, solidarity with those who are my followers that when someone does something against my followers, they're doing it to me. But you know what the flip side of that is? This is the good, this is the part, I just, wow. That means when God the Father looks at God the Son and says, well done, when he rewards the Son, When he lavishes his love on the Son, he's lavishing his love on us. You and I, if we're Christians, we're not just individual little people and then there's Jesus and God and Jesus have this perfect love relationship because God is love, right? The Bible teaches that, right? God is love, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, this this perfect love relationship, right? But you and I, as we become followers of Jesus Christ, we have this encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. We now are in union with him, which means we're also in union with each other. You know, sometimes people go, why do Christians call each other self brother and sister sometimes? People don't know. Because we're all part of one family. We're together. It doesn't mean we always like each other or we always understand each other. Or we, do you see what I'm saying here? Does this make sense? And so what Saul's saying, he realizes when he was persecuting the Christians, he was persecuting Jesus. Jesus says, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. But the flip side of that is also just as encouraging, which is the love and the treasure that God the Father has for God the Son. That's how much a treasure you are to him as well. That's how much God treasures you today. For God so loves you, he sent his only Son, that if you would believe in him, you will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. That changes you. When you, you may have been rejected by every, 
important person in your life. But do you know that God Almighty accepts you and loves you and cares for you and treasures you? That's the good news of the gospel. That's what the gospel really means. God loves you. He cares about you. And that changes who you are on the inside. Saul was a hateful, spiteful, resentful man who, who found pleasure in killing and persecuting people he thought were wrong. And who is he now? I want to share this scripture with you. Galatians chapter 3. This is what Paul says later on. He says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So here's Saul, the Jewish scholar, writing to a bunch of Gentiles, and this is what he says. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. No more divisions. We're in unity together. How can he say that? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Because of what Christ has done for you and I, Christ gives us a new mind, a new way of seeing life, a new way of perceiving things. He gives us a new heart. And that result, the result of that is we have a new character. And the character change that God did in Saul, taking him from a persecutor to a missionary, is the same kind of life change he's trying to do in you and I today. What is what is God's will for your life? You ever ask that question? God, what's your will for my life? I can tell you what God's will is. He wants you to look like Jesus Christ, his son, who, because of the love he had for you and I, he gave his life for us. So what does that mean for us today? We've seen that Saul's encounter with the risen Jesus transformed his understanding of who God was. He, had a, he now understands his new life mission to share the good news with everyone. It's changed his character, and it's even changed his relationships. Today, we live in a society that's divided. There's ethnic, there's racial, there's social, economic division. We live in a society where there was, there was uh, our streets were, were filled with protesters, where buildings were burned, cars were burned just a few weeks ago. Today that's happening in Cleveland. Yesterday, people arrested. People look at society today and they say, what do they see? They see crime. They see sin. They see death. They see injustice by those who should know better, those in power. And people look at this broken world and they want to revolt against it. They want to say, this is wrong. And it is wrong, isn't it? But the answer they've chosen is the wrong answer. The only way to have unity, the only way to have uh, people coming together and truly caring for each other and loving each other, the only way for there to be justice in our society, is is for all of us to come to Jesus Christ. In Jesus, there are no divisions. Unfortunately, Christians are known today in our society as people who bring divisions. We say, well, these people are allowed to do this, and these people are accepted, and these people are right, and these people are wrong. Folks, as we're about to head into another presidential election cycle, can I just say this? We've got to be known to be a Christian first and a Democrat or Republican second. Could we be okay with that? We're a follower of Jesus Christ first. And so that means we're in unity, whether we agree with each other or not. Here's one thing we can agree on. Jesus Christ says, love one another. And he doesn't mean just like pat each other on the back and good to see you. He means 
care for each other, love for each other, share the good news with each other. Saul was able to change his world because he knew that Jesus Christ truly had raised from the dead. And that fact changed everything. He knew that what, he, what Jesus had done on the cross meant that our sins are forgiven. Our jails today are full with people because we don't forgive their sins. We, we say we want to put them in prison as a punishment, as a way of saying don't do that kind of a thing. And justice is a very tricky thing in society, isn't it? But here's the thing. There will never be true justice until Jesus returns. The only way you and I can see justice, the only way we can really see the love of God in action is if you and I bring it into that situation. People need more of the love of God, the care of God, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ than they need anything else we can offer them. More than our words, more than empty actions. If we think about what what so happened in Saul's life, he was completely headed and focused in one direction. And all of a sudden, his encounter with the risen Jesus Christ set him off in the other direction. And he becomes someone who's able to share and say, I once was this, but now here's what God has done for me. What does God want to do in your life today? What kind of grace and mercy does he want to pour forth in your life? How do we know he wants to do this? The core of the gospel, the core of the good news is this. God became a man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. As our worship team comes back, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he is alive today. He is the son of God and he offers forgiveness and salvation to whoever will accept him, to whoever will call upon his name. And today, if you've never experienced that encounter with Jesus Christ, that life-changing encounter with the Son of God, if you would like to experience his love and his care and his forgiveness, you can do that today. Saul says this in Romans 10, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that's you today, you have an awesome opportunity to take a step in faith. But not a step that's based on blind faith. A step based on verifiable historical facts that Jesus Christ is alive and he loves you and cares for you. At this time, I'd like us, if we could all stand. We can't talk about We just spent some minutes talking about the core truth of Christianity, that Jesus is alive. That demands a response for all of us today. If you're one of those people who's never prayed that prayer, you can pray a simple prayer with me. Let's bow our heads. Dear Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. I recognize that you lived and you died to pay the penalty for my sin. And right now I ask you to come into my life and to make me new, to transform me like you did with Saul on the road to Damascus. I ask you to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to give me a new life direction, to give me that new heart and that new mind that you gave to him. 
We pray this in your precious name of Jesus. Amen.